there was a band named Genesis? Never, never heard of, I, you know what, I just, I just want to say, um, I only did that just to trigger people, and, and I, if you were triggered, raise your hand, you, I'm just kidding, you don't, you don't have to, um, you thought you were coming to a safe space this morning, and then just got thrown in your face, no perfect people allowed, um, do you know why you're here? Are you sure about that? You know, you know why, you're, why you're here this morning. I mean, it could have all kinds of motivations, but um, somewhere along the line, there was some kind of beginning uh, that happened in your life that has brought you to this moment. Everyone's got a beginning. I don't know if you remember your beginning. Um, maybe it was just really cold and noisy, bright lights. No? Okay. My wife is like just giving me that, that smirk at me. It's like, you're so dumb. That's what she's thinking, right? That's what she's thinking. She's nodding her head. Um, may, maybe, may you, apparently, my dad reminded me of this week. Apparently, I used to tell the story as a kid um, that I, I have no idea where this come from, where this came from, this idea came from. I don't remember this. Um, it's really bad theology, I think. But apparently, as a kid, I would tell people that I remember before I was born. And I was up in heaven, and I was with Jesus, you know, and, and, and this kind of thing. And I, I have no idea where that came from. Uh, I, don't, I don't particularly think that's true. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a biblical idea or theology there to, to back that up. Um, but even before that, even if that, that were the case, even before that, there's still a beginning before that. Um, because I'm, I'm not the first person to, to ever live. E- even with, like, your own physical existence, I mean, there's, there, there's that beginning, and we can celebrate that, and we have birthdays, and, and let's have cake and ice cream, a- absolutely. But there's several other, there's all kinds of other beginnings in our lives, too. Uh, the beginnings of our ideas, the beginnings of our personalities, uh, the beginnings of our relationships, the beginnings of our careers. I mean, all kinds of things that impact us. And if we were to take our lives, and I don't, I don't even know how this would be possible, I think we could take one person and take that entire wall over here on this building and just try to start tracing everything that exists in their life back to a certain point, you know, and try to figure it out. And that entire wall would just be covered in one solid color because we wouldn't have space to make all of those connections. Um, There's this movie 14 years ago. uh, The movie Inception came out. I could not believe it was 14 years ago when when I looked up. Uh, <laughs> it is a little depressing, yeah. Um, 14 years ago, the movie Inception came out. and I know uh, some of you have seen it, some of you haven't. And uh, it, I, I think it's a great movie. It's kind of an original sci-fi, and it deals with uh, the idea of what if you could enter into somebody else's dreams. You know, if you had a lucid dream and somebody could, could go in there. And not only what could you do with that, but could you, could you hack somebody's brain, basically, by being in their dream. Uh, there's some people who uh, plant suggestive ideas or at least just one kernel of an idea in somebody's life and it completely changes what they do moving, uh, moving forward. Uh, there are some unintended consequences with that though because you don't, you don't ever really know how an idea or how something implanted in somebody, how it's gonna impact them further down the road. I mean, we could all think of probably moments in our lives that we remember from our childhood that still impact us today, things that we still think about, maybe a, a right or wrong belief or an event or something that happened that still impact us. And I bring this all up because there's a certain level of, um, 
uh, overconfidence or maybe hubris that we kind of carry along with ourselves as we go about our days when we don't really consider where some of the beliefs and ideas and thinking in our lives really comes from. Uh, some, of the, some of the beliefs that we hold on to that shape who we are, how we live, and how we interact with, with other people, uh, when we don't know when they, where they come from, um, we might not understand the, the kind of impact that we're having on the people around us or, or whether or not we're even experiencing life in the way that God created us to live it. Um, all of the things that we experience in life had a beginning in something, and when we don't acknowledge this, um, uh, we, we just miss out on what it looks like and what it means to live life. So we're going to be talking about some key truths about who God has been from the beginning and how that has impacted the relationships with humanity, his creation, as we go through the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. It's got a lot of chapters in it. We're not going to be reading through every single chapter and every single verse, but I really want to encourage you uh, to, if you have, especially if you've never read Genesis before, uh, to, to grab a Bible, open it up, and read through it. We're going to talk about this morning um, of, of the beginning. Uh, that might, might surprise you. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And, I, and like I said, we're not going to read all three chapters, every single verse in there. Uh, but we're going to hit some uh, highlights uh, to this. Uh, but this is such an important book because one of the things that it does is yeah, it tells us some stories and, uh, of some people, and we're going to be talking about those people. But it kind of sets the tone for who God is. It sets the tone for God's character and his nature and how he wants to relate to humanity. Uh, the beginning of our lives, our hopes and dreams, ideas, all of these things are a product of what God did all the way back in Genesis. Or at least they could be a part of that, or, or maybe they're a corruption of that. Everybody has a belief about the beginning of all things, and it sets a foundation for how we live life. It, it sets a foundation for our worldview. And, and I don't know how often you think about that. I will tell you, I, I don't spend every week, you know, every day thinking about, oh, that's right, you know, God created it, and this is how he did it, and I need to think about this for, for how I live the rest of my day, and yet it impacts me every second of my life. Uh, there are all kinds of cultural and religious myths about the beginning that, exi that exist. I mean, humans from, you know, the beginning of any kind of recorded history, we've been trying to make sense of why we're here what our purpose is. All kinds of different descriptions of that. Uh, some of you may be uh, familiar with the one that's in the Bible. Uh, there are all kinds of other cultural des descriptions of that as well. Uh, one of the famous ones, or at least one of the ones that always sticks out in my, my mind because uh, the name, I, I don't know, just sticks in me. It sticks in my, in my brain is the Enuma Elish. You guys familiar with that? So this is like the Babylonian belief of how things where uh, how the world was created. Uh, it's the creation epic that tells the tale of Marduk, the chief god of the city of Babylon, who defeats the elder goddess, Tiamat, and brings order to chaos and thus becomes the lord of the gods of heaven and earth. I don't know if it, did you guys know that there's alternative ways and views of, of how to think about the creation? Uh, Tiamat got cut in half, by the way. Half of her became heaven, half of her became earth. And, and so I, I don't know if you knew that. Like there, there are other ways in which people think about this thing. And if you look back and study um, the people of Babylon and how they lived, you can trace how their understanding and beliefs about the beginning impacted how they lived out their present and their future. Um, there's some, you know, all kinds of similar themes are represented in creation myths because they deal with humans and, and why we exist and can have observable things um, but what most closely represents the reality that we, we live within and, and the choice we make of how to base the foundation of our lives on that 
um, is a faith decision that everybody has to make at some point in their life. Even if you don't want to, it still impacts how you live your life. And and the way the Bible describes the beginning, and we're not going to be talking about every single detail of this. We're not even going to be looking at all six days. We're just going to focus on the sixth sixth day. Um, The way that the Bible describes God creating out of nothing and humanity being created in his image and the type of relationship that he desires in the world that we live in and the way that we interact with each other tells us about God's character. It tells us about the nature of existence, and, and it shows why the best way we can relate to our purpose and our being is through him. Let's just start out by reading Genesis chapter 1 and talk about the penultimate piece of his creation. This is from Genesis chapter 1, verses, verse 26. I know, we're going to skip over the lights and the birds and the trees and the sun and the air and all, all, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to get to the good, the good stuff. At least that's typically how we act when we think about ourselves, all right? Then, then, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, the previous days, there's a similar pattern in which God uh, describes and talks about uh, creation. As Moses is writing this, is recording this uh, for the people of Israel to know and understand who they are and where they come from and how they're supposed to be related to God. And in each of the previous day descriptions, there's kind of that, here's what happened, God created it, it was so, and it was good, is the description in all the previous days. There's something different, though, when it comes to humanity, he says, and it was so, and it was very good. The reason for this is that God does something distinctly different when he creates humanity. We're, we're not just a part of everything else, although we interact with everything else, and God calls us uh, uh, to uh, be a part of the world around us, but there's something distinctly different that God does with us. First of all, he says that he makes us in his image. It's not really, um, I don't think, a popular way to view humanity this day and age in our culture. We don't really think of ourselves as very distinctive, not in the way in which we typically treat one another and the way that we think about our own personal well-being. We shifted kind of from the awe and wonder of the world around us and the nature of existence to a little bit more arrogance on one side of the coin or apathy on the others, represented with our obsession with figuring out how to live life outside of how things work. I mean, that's kind of of what most people seem to want in our culture today. We just want it to be the way we want it to be rather than the way that things are, preferring to suspend reality rather than be in awe and wonder at the splendor and majesty of what God has created and what our place in that is. Because God created us with a place in reality, in the world around us. You've probably never seen a cat marvel about the nature of existence. I don't don't know. Maybe that is what they're doing. I I, I don't know what they're thinking. 
Um, or, you've never seen a cat or, 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 even, or even a dog. I have both. I can, I can say things about both. Left speechless at the expansiveness of the universe when looking at the stars at night. And yet, those are the things that, that we can do and participate in because God created us to partner with him in creation in the world that he created us to not, not just kind of be a part of, but he gave, us, he gave us work as a blessing to us to partner in with the things that he was doing. And the problem becomes when we change ourselves from being created beings that are very good to just part of the things that are being created that are good, you know, when we, when we, when we think we're animals, we, t- we, tend to, we tend to act like them. Um, when we when we conceive of ourselves as, as being uh, things that, that are just, you know, ho-hum, you know, just it's, just, it's just normal for us to be here and be around each other, and we just kind of go over, uh, go through our days, you know, just like everybody else does. We kind of follow along with the status quo. We kind of miss out on the uniqueness that is really represented by our being here. Um, many of our beliefs are far more social than scientific and are much more influenced by faith and philosophy than fact. And whether or not you're honest about this has much to do with what you believe about the beginning. What's really funny to me, um, it's not funny, it's interesting uh, to me, is, is how we typically read through the first part of Genesis and how we get hung up on things in the text. Like, um, for example, we read through and, and we think about you know, well, how could God, you know, how could God do all of these things in a 24-hour period? You know, what, what is this, what does this really mean? In six days, you know, God could create all the things that we can, we can observe and stuff like, is that possible? And so we'll talk about things like, well, is the earth really young? You know, is it just several thousand years old? Or is the earth really old? You know, what, what is God trying to tell us here in, in Genesis? Or, or for example, you know, talk about the nature of uh, philosophy and belief and and think that we're pitting science against faith, and we'll say, well, would it, you know, is it creation or is it evolution? You know, which, which one is it? And we got, we got to figure out how to argue these things really well so we can convince people that's one thing or the other. Um, this sermon is not about any of that. And those are all worthwhile conversations, um, and, and we can have those conversations any time that you would like to. The text gives us all kinds of things to consider. How death, for example, as a consequence, plays a part in the timing of events. The poetic form of the text that we find, especially in Genesis chapter 1. The interchangeable ways, words, and a limited vocabulary are used. We can talk about all of those kinds of things. But the point of the text is that the merit of God creating is not on the basis of how long it took God or his methodology, but that God is the one who created. And, and that, that is the foundation, that is the footing for a Christian worldview that sees humanity as being created in the image of God, carrying the Imago Dei, and, and for us being very good. Some, something singular, set apart, and we were created to be in relationship and to partner with God. Listen, it, it certainly doesn't hurt, and, and um, you know, again, we can talk about all the details of those things. It certainly doesn't hurt that the biblical account of intelligent design and the mathematical impossibility of things just being just because they are, um, like, that, that's a great conversation to have. Um, but the point is, is that God is the one who did it, not necessarily how he did it or how long it, took, it takes. 
All of the things that the Bible describes, they work incredibly well with the observations that we can make about the world around us. But the knowledge that we acquire from those observations shouldn't blind us to the splendor of the world and the very good place that we've been given in it. I think sometimes we focus on things on the text that are really important, but not the crux of the matter, is, is all I'm saying. In Genesis chapter 2, this is what, this is what uh, God says we are to, uh, supposed to be a part of. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the lesson that we haven't learned from this quite yet is that God is more interested in how we partner with him and exist and live with him and what we do and who we are than just with what we know. There's a, there's a particular co- uh, concept throughout the entire uh, uh, throughout the entire Bible, specifically represented often throughout Genesis, um, and it's the theme or the concept of covenant. Um, some of you, um, even if you aren't familiar with that word, you know exactly what it means because you partnered in. Uh, for example, uh, when, you, when, you, um, when you marry someone, you enter into a covenant with them. Uh, when you sign a contract, you're entering into a covenant. It's agreement between two parties for one specific purpose. Um, and so as we read through Genesis chapter 1, uh, especially through 3, what we see here is represented the first ever covenant that God makes with, with humanity. It's representative of the character and nature of God, and the, the agreements that he makes with humanity are not deals, although that's typically how we tend to want to relate to God. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll do this. Um, I'm not sure what happens when you don't fulfill the promise that you make and God comes through. Uh, but it probably can't be good. But instead, these are promises in which he always fulfills both requirements. Of course, there are always consequences when we don't and can't hold up on our end of the bargain, but they are always tempered by God's grace. And Adam is the first man who's the recipient of the first covenant. Essentially, the first promise that God gives is, listen, everything you need, everything you need, I'm going to take care of. Sounds pretty good. Um, in, in fact, not only am I going to give you everything you need, I'm going to give you meaningful work and purpose in your life. And, and, to, and to top it all off, I'm going to make sure that that meaningful work and purpose and all those things that you need are completely going to, um, com- they're completely going to complete you. Uh, you complete me. Um, they're they're going to make you, they're going to enable you to be content. They're going to satiate all your needs, and all of that is going to be fulfilled relationally. In fact, this was the very first problem humanity ever had, and God immediately took care of it. He's always taking care of both sides of the equation when it comes to the promises that he makes with us. In Genesis chapter 2, the first crisis of man, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. This is not to say um, that as God creates Eve... Uh, she's met, oh, she's like, oh, now I have, now I have a maid. You know, like, <laughs> that, is, that is not what this means at all. Um, th- now I will make a helper, a partner suitable for him. Uh, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living cre- creature, that was his name. 
So Adam gave names to all of them. But in all of those things, in all of the world, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Uh, just a heads up. This does not mean that men have one less rib than women. Um, I'm just, just, throw, just throwing that out there, okay? Adam had one less rib after this, uh, but okay. Uh, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. More than anything, God desired for us to enjoy perfect communion with him and with one another. Covenantal relationship in which we helped each other. And we lived the life that God promised for us to be able to have with him. And, and this is the thing, out of everything else in life that makes, the li that makes our lives most off-kilter. This is, this is one of the things I think that is such a clear indicator that um, we can look around the world and see, man, there are a lot of good things, but there's, some, there's something kind of off about how things are to, ought to be. And it's our relationships in, with each other when they aren't operating how they should that is the clearest indicator. Because you can have everything you want in life, you can have the best life ever, and yet if you don't have a good, healthy, covenantal relationship, like, all of those things are empty. I, there are so many people that give that kind of testimony all the time. I don't know why we always think we're the exception to the rule, but we do. We're like, no, it's cool. I'll take the money and be miserable. I, I'm sure, like, I, I can handle it, I promise. Um, and yet time and time again, that is, that is always the story that we hear when it comes to the nature of our existence. People, when we aren't living the lives that God created us to live, uh, we, we are not fulfilled. Our needs aren't there. We don't have meaningful work and purpose, and yet this is what God wanted to give us. His only requirement as part of keeping the covenant is just don't eat from that tree. And I know sometimes that just seems like, well, why did God just kind of dangle that out there? And that was kind of the, that was kind of the thing, like, don't, don't eat this. You know, it's right there. I really, don't think, I really don't think that's how it worked at all. Because it wasn't really about eating from the tree. It was really about whether or not we're going to trust God at all, that he knows best and that we don't, and that he'll always want best for us. But we always have to find out for ourselves, don't we? We always, we've always got to touch the hot stove. We always want to know what other people are thinking. We're not content with a dream existence. Adam and Eve weren't, and we aren't either. We always want to know how the sausage was made, missing that God was protecting us from ourselves. But this is how our pride and our hubris work. We think we're the exception, and the enemy plays into this. And I'm not going to read much of that account, but um, when the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1, all he did was ask kind of a simple question at the beginning. The serpent was more crafty than all, any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Are you sure you trust everything you bring told? And I understand asking questions, trust but verify, those are the things that we say. But even, when we, um, but even then, we need relationships in which we can just be trustworthy and, and, and expect trustworthiness from other people. And sometimes, while this isn't always clean between us, we tend to let one another down on occasion, maybe some more than others, but God does not. 
And all of this, uh, the nature of how we think about our beginning and how it impacts our hopes and our lives and our dreams, our thinking and our worldview, comes down to this one point. It's the result of what we're called to understand from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And that is that of everything else, everything else that we observe and experience in, in, in the world, the one thing that matters the most is us knowing that God is the one who can be trusted. And, and this, this is the crux of his character and nature that's here. I, I, man, I love talking about creation. I love talking about the observ- you know, observations we can, ma- we, we can make. I love talking about the theological implications of how we think about timing and, and all of those kinds of things with the earth. But when we talk about the crux of the matter <laughs> and, and what, um, what either makes or breaks our lives, it's, it's whether or not we believe and our faith holds on this this part of the covenant is that God can be trusted, not only to fulfill his end of the bargain, to fulfill, but fulfill ours as well. Even though Adam and Eve fell for the deceit from the enemy, God's holiness required judgment, absolutely, and that happens. They get kicked out of the garden. He still provides grace. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, um, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. God isn't, God isn't intimidated by the fact, oh, now they can think like us. <laughs> um, we're still not even good, good at that. Uh, God's not intimidated by, by, that, by that with us. He just knows that we can't handle it. And that an eternal existence... Like, like this would just, just would not be fulfilling to what he intended for us all. And, and what he wants us to understand is that he knows what's best and he wants what's best for us. And there's far more freedom in participating in the created order that God intended from the beginning. A created order that just so happens to be restored and healed through Jesus. And Paul talks about that and he explains that in Romans chapter 5. This is the last chunk of text that I'm going to read uh, this morning. And it just kind of perfectly encapsulates um, exactly how the world began and, and how it started ending and how God provided a brand new th- beginning through Jesus. Therefore, Paul writes, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of, time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? From the beginning, God created humanity to be in communion with him, and from the beginning, he is the one who has provided for us despite our going our own way and not trusting that he knows what he's doing. 
Even if you feel unclear about faith and the particulars of how God created, I believe that you've drilled down into why he created and what he does to sustain his creation, you'll start to see a pretty clear pattern emerge. That there are plenty of things about this world that we can see that ought not to be, but that despite that, when we trust in God's plan for creation, we begin to see the very good he saw in us from the beginning. And this is because when our sin leaves us naked and ashamed, God provides the only trustworthy covering that is strong enough to remake what our sin has unmade, and that is through Jesus. From, from the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. Um, and we, we broke that. And, and we probably break that in some small way every day um, because we're not perfect. And um, we're not always trustworthy in our relationships. Um, and we're not always fulfilled by the things that God provides, you know, and how God provides for our needs and how he provides for our purpose and how he provides for, for fulfillment because we just don't recognize those things. And some of it is because we just kind of lose sight of how we're called to trust God each and every day. Um, that, you know, sometimes it's, it's great knowing stuff. Sometimes you're just more miserable as a result of it. Um, and, and God knows that about us, and he's, he's provided a way out from under that. And, and that's through Jesus. That, that's, that, is, that is how God has fulfilled the covenant that he has called us into. He said, hey... I want you to be able to partner in creation with me. I want you to enjoy relationship and existence. I want you to have joy and peace in that. It's very good. This is amazing. Look at this incredible world around us. Um, <laughs> but, man, we miss that in so many ways. And Jesus is the one who gives us perspective to be able to re-engage what we were created for from the very beginning. Every week at Velocity, we take communion together so we can be reminded of that foundation, uh, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how through Jesus... Um, and what he, do, how, how, what he does um, to give us the grace and mercy in the face of God's judgment and our separation from him, um, that it completely changes the nature of, of our worldview and ex existence. And so we're going to celebrate that here in just a minute after I pray. Uh, we've got a couple different tables around, around the room, a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice that represents Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. Um, let's, let's pray this morning uh, before we take communion together. God, we thank you for being trustworthy. Um, we thank you for sharing who you are with us and being willing to, even when we don't measure up, uh, even when we have to be protected from ourselves, and uh, even though our sin separates us from you, that, um, that you still redeem and reconcile us through Jesus, that you still, you still provide for our needs, uh, that you still uh, provide meaning and fulfillment and... Um, and, and invite us into um, creating, a, creating the world that you intended for us to experience from the beginning as we live out our faith in you. God, help us to, help us to see that. Help us to uh, recognize um, maybe if our perspective isn't, isn't the one that you intended from the beginning, what, what belief, what beginning in our life has kind of taken us off course. God, help us to uh, see, see us see humanity the way that you do, and God, help us to, to value our place in your creation um, the way that you intend us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.